Please have a seat and please find in your Bibles uh, Galatians chapter 3. We continue our study of this book. We're actually going to dabble in chapter 4 today, but don't get your hopes up on the outline. We're going to probably skate through the last point. I just want to make the connection with that part of the, the text with what we'll be studying. But Galatians chapter 3 verse 15 is where we'll start. Um, I'm annoyed. I don't know whose fault it is, but they put a new sign recently up by the high school on the road that flashes your speed limit when you go past it. I was fine. I know there's schools there, okay? I know I should slow down around schools. I get it. But that slow? I mean, do you know how slow 20 miles an hour is? And that thing, some of them stop flashing when you get close, you know, like 25 would cut it. Uh-uh. If you're at 21, it's flashing, it's flashing, it's flashing at you. Now, I understand the reason, again, why it's there. We should protect our kids and go slow around schools. But come on. All right, so that's my setup. That's my introduction. That is exactly why God gave us the law, okay? Every time I drive past the high school, I know I'm a lawbreaker, and I better slow down. God's word, specifically his Old Testament law given through Moses, performs that same function. It's like a mirror, it's like a radar gun that says you're going too fast. And there's a good reason behind it. When you do that, people get hurt, or God is not honored, okay? That's exactly the purpose of the law. Well, Paul's going to ask the question today, do we have to obey the law? That's been kind of the theme of this book. But if, if we don't, then why did God give it to us in the first place? That's the gist of, of this passage. So read with me and see if you can pick that up as we read. And then I'm just going to read down to, um, oh, verse 22 probably, or maybe a little further than that. But we'll stop at some point. Verse 15, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what is was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Let me just stop there for now, and we'll, we'll get to the other parts. But let's, let's pray. God, um, 
thank you um, for your word, and I thank you that Paul not only inspired, wrote this for us, but he even looked back to the scriptures of the Old Testament, and he um, commented on them the way we're doing his writing today. And so thank you, God, that we have a reliable source of truth, and help it to uh, do what it does, God. May it cut us deep and and heal us um, as well, God. So just speak to us now through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your Bibles open if you would. I want you to turn to Philippians here in a second. But um, really points one and two, really the heart of this morning. I again want to connect point three just so we get the, the continuity of what Paul's arguing here. But point one is the promise of a seed. The promise of a seed. And point A is the promise stands. Here's what's going on. The Jews, the Judaizers, who were saying people needed to do certain things, obey the law to be right with God, were basically making this argument. Yes, God promised Abraham something, but later he promised that if you keep these laws, you'll be blessed by them. These are the way to be right with God. And Paul's going to make the counter argument, no, it's really the first promise that still stands, not the second one. And I'll explain that here in a second. Just word by word, brothers and sisters, a couple things. He had called them foolish last week, okay? So it sounds like he really hates them. He doesn't. He really loves, he acknowledges that they're believers in Jesus Christ. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, those of it have accepted Christ. But also think of this. This is a Jewish man. It is blasphemous, shocking at least, for a Jew to call Gentiles brothers and sisters. The Jews were very ethnically uh, racially based in that and to call an unclean gentile we saw last week he called them sinners and dogs and all kinds of things so he he has something in his heart for these people he really loves them and he says let me take an example from everyday life and now he's i mean he's just trying to make plain talk here just as no one can set aside a human covenant that has been duly established so it is in this case so here's the deal think with covenant think contract let me talk in everyday language. Let's say you hire a handyman to redo your bathroom for $10,000. And they're going to do the fixtures you want, and they're going to do the tile you want. It's all going to be up to what you want. And they get into that job, and they say, oh, I told you 10000 but I've decided since, you know, because I'm, it's now 20000 Or worse, it's a million. You know, I mean, just go off the deep end. You would say, No. I have a contract with you that you were going to do this work, and you can apply it to anything, not just, you know, handyman. I don't want to get handyman under the bus here. Apply it to anything. You're not going to go back and say, I, I signed that contract, but I'm going to give you more money, unless things change, obviously. Paul's making that same case here. He's, he's saying, just think about everyday life. If you make a contract, it doesn't, it, a, a future thing doesn't change that. And he's, he says it's not set aside by anybody that's been duly established. Who's the author of the promise to Abraham but God himself? And Paul's whole argument is this. God did not change his mind. What he said to Abraham still stands, even though 430 years later there was a law established, another covenant with, from God, but it does not set aside that first one. Okay, that's his, that's his whole argument. And the promise, is point B, is of a seed. And I love Paul doing this because you, I, I assume you like what we do around here, but what we literally do is word by word, phrase by phrase, make our way through a text, right? Paul does the same thing. I love this. 
he's going he's gonna to get down to not just a word, but whether it's plural or not. So he's expounding the scriptures like we try to do every week and make sense of it. So he says in verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. Now what God had promised Abraham was with you would have the promised land, but as we saw last week, you would also have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. This is an old man, Abraham, who could not have kids at the time, and God promised him that he would have a lineage, that he would have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. So those were the promises God made. And, and we know from Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 and Genesis 12 that that included the Gentiles. And so he says, the promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds. Okay? So what Paul is pointing out is God did not simply promise Abraham a lot of people in his family tree. He promised him one particular person in his family tree right does not say and to seeds meaning many people and but and to your seed meaning one person jesus christ so what paul is pulling out here and here's how spurgeon puts it he says notice how important a single letter of the scriptures may be a vital doctrine may depend on the use of a singular or plural noun Therefore, let us jealously guard the smallest jot or tittle of the inspired word of God. You understand the difference here? Abraham has just not promised a big family. He's promised the Messiah. He's promised, that's what the word Christ means. He's promised that the Savior of the world will come through his line. That's the promise that is made. And this gets into it still stands. Verse 17, what I mean by this is the law was introduced 430 years later. So Abraham's family grows. Eventually they end up in Egypt. Um, you know the story of Joseph and his brothers and all that. Eventually Moses comes and rescues them or leads them out of Egypt. We know the Exodus, the giving of the law and all that. That happened 400 years later. So Paul's making a, just a timeline argument here. He says that happened 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. Pretty straightforward here. God promised Abraham a seed. Yes, you went to Egypt for 400 years and I wrote the law for you, but I still promised Abraham a seed. And we know from last week and other things, the, re the way that Abraham accepted that seed, it could not have been by the law because the law did not even exist. It was by faith. We are saved the same way Abraham was saved. That's his whole argument here. Verse 18. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a, a promise. He's saying what we've said a lot around here. There's only two ways that people think they get to God or get right with God. One is what they do. The other is what Christ has done. A way I heard it this week is they perform or it's what God has provided. That's simple. You can dice it up however you want. But there's either a grace filled by faith Christianity that says Christ did it all. Or there's every other religion in the world. So, including those who claim to have no religion but say I think I'm good enough. Right? Every other worldview in the world says that it's what we do and not what, what God did. And I could quote, and, and we don't have the time to do it, you could just go read Romans 4, Romans 8, Romans 7, go read the book of Romans if you want, and he just expounds and blows all of this up in the, in the book of Romans. But John 
quotes Jesus in, in John 8. Um, he's talking to some of the Jew, same Jewish re- believers. They were calling Jesus a demon for what he said. This is John 8, 52 through 59 or so. Jesus, uh, the Jews said to Jesus, we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, they will never die. They will never taste death. Are you greater than your father, than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you think you are, basically? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. But if my father glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have made not known him, I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. And here's the verse. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus picks up himself and says, I'm that promised seed. I'm the thing that, I'm the one who God promised. So point one is there was this promised seed. Point two, then why the law? And so I put down there the purpose of the statutes. Um, What does it mean that God gives the Ten Commandments? What does it mean that the rabbis and others would then add to that hundreds of other other things and that's exactly the question in verse 19 why then was the law given at all if all we have to do is just trust god if all we have to do is trust his word um, i'm going to get my quotes confused this morning because I, I listened to a few things this week and, and didn't take good notes but one of them said this um, we cannot sow s-e-w the thread of grace unless we first pierce with the needle of the law or something along those lines the law had to come so that we know we need to believe god for something okay that's the point and i'll give you three little reasons or big reasons three reasons why i think paul says this a is to expose our sin this is the flashing speed limit sign on commercial street verse 19 it was added the law was because of transgressions Now, that word transgressions, I've told you the different ways. It means to step across the line. It means because of trespasses. It was added because of that. And again, you can read Romans all left and right. But here's what Paul says in Romans 7. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So what he's saying this, now that you know there's a school zone, and now that you know you're breaking the speed limit, you're guilty, and you know you're guilty. And you know what? I didn't care how fast I went down commercial until now I see that sign, and a little part of me wants to go 21 miles an hour in a 20 zone. That's what Paul's saying. Now, and and here's, man, I hope we can get this point. Apart from God's law, there is no moral standard. You can think one thing's right, and I can think another thing's right. And that's that's human, I mean, whose moral stance, right? Who who gets to say that? But once the law comes in, so if I can pick your sin, pick anger, pick lust, You know, most of human history, apart from the 
the faith that God brought in through first the Jews and then Christ was you kill those and you fight against those who are your enemies and you take whatever you want, including the women. That was the deal. That's the deal without immorality that comes from God. And it can be dressed up in all kinds of ways. It can be dressed up in love even. But your love looks different than my love. And so now we're fighting about that kind of stuff. I would not have known. What Paul is saying here is human nature thinks it's okay to do those things. That's why most of human history has been that way. But then God comes along and says, no. You don't act that way. You love your neighbors. You don't look lustfully. You don't do those things. You don't steal what's not yours. And all of a sudden, oh, I'm guilty of those things. I didn't even know they were wrong before, and and now I know. And so the speed limit sign works. Think of a mirror. I recently told you I I put off going to the doctor. I promised my wife when I was 55, I'd go to the doctor. I turned 55 in October. I finally went to the doctor. I didn't want to go to the doctor. Because I knew he was going to tell me something, and he did. My dad had diabetes. Guess where I'm heading? Diabetes. I said, I like to have a donut every night from Quick Trip before I go to bed. Does that play into this diagnosis? And here's what he said. I, I'm going to just share. This is probably confidential HIPAA stuff, but he said, you can still eat the donut. This sounds like a good deal. He goes, because you're heading that way whether you quit eating the donut or not. It's your genetics that's messed up, okay? Well, the donuts aren't as exciting as they used to be, but I'm thinking about that. But you see, our genetics is sin. We just don't know it. The law brings that out, okay? Another story, and this is from Colin Smith. I do know this. I, he was preaching on Joseph and his brothers, and I, I hope this applies here. He said, for years, Joseph's brothers had dropped him in a well and left him for dead, and as far as they knew, he was dead, right? That's why they were so surprised when they found him all those years later. He said, they just went on with life. They had done something hideous. They had murdered their brother. And life just went on for decades. And here's the quote that Colin Smith said. There's, a, there's billions of people that go through life where their sins have been forgotten, but not forgiven. Okay? They knew they did it. They had to know they did it. And they had moved on, but they had not been cleansed. He goes, much rather to have our sins forgiven and not forgotten. That's the point of the law. Yes, you're messed up, but there's a solution to that. You can go through life pretending like you're not messed up, but I'm telling you there's guilt and there's shame and there's hell involved in that. Unless it brings you to Christ, that's the point of the law. So that people cannot just go through life pretending like and forgetting sin or not even realizing sin. God, a holy God, needs to bring it to their face. Verse 19, it's not uh, open-ended, until the seed of whom the promise refers had come. So he's saying there, the law was put in place for a limited amount of time. Okay, that's the the point here. Later on in chapter 4, he'll say at the exact right time, God sent his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, right, so that he could save us. That's where we're heading in chapter 4. That's where this is heading. The law was there to show us how sick we are, how deadly sick we are, until the solution came in Jesus Christ. This is where I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. If you're in Galatians, you're real close. 
A couple books to the right, they're small books, so just a few pages. And just start in verse 3 for a while. I don't, again, see how far we get here. If you have a new international version, there's a, setting, a, a heading there that says, No confidence in the flesh. And think who's writing this. This is Paul, the same person writing the book of Galatians that we're studying. He says in verse 1, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these same things to you again, and it is a safeguard to you. Watch out for those dogs. By the way, that's what they would call Gentiles. Now he's calling the Judaizers that. Those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, they want them to be circumcised. For it is we who are the true circumcision. Okay, just catch that. He's saying there's something going on here. They want you to literally cut your flesh. I'm telling you that by faith, we are in that standing before God. It is we who serve God by his spirit who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, that's the argument of Galatians. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the best tribe there. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says down in, in, in that verse as well, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. So he's not throwing the law under the bus saying, I don't care about the law. He kept it to the nth degree. Uh, verse 6, he says, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. If anybody thought, and as the Pharisees did, I can stand before a holy God with no guilt, it was Paul. He had kept the rule. He never went 21 miles an hour. He always went 20 or lower. Okay? But, verse 7 says, whatever gains uh, were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may be found gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from where from the law but that which is through faith in Christ a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith so he spells that out to the Philippians okay back to Galatians verse 19 goes on to say the law was given through angels and and entrusted to a mediator now we can spend a lot of time on the angels if you go back and read Deuteronomy 33 um, and, and you read even uh, Stephen's speech to the, uh, to the, uh, before the people before he got martyred. God had sent messengers to Moses and provided the law through that. And so Deuteronomy 33, Acts 7, both spell that out a little bit. God had communicated to Moses. So that's the angels part of it. But it's entrusted to a mediator. Moses was the mediator of the Old Testament. If you'll remember, and again, you can go back and read this in Deuteronomy 5 and other places, that that people were afraid to go up the mountain, and rightly so. God said, nobody touch the mountain or they'll die. But Moses was welcomed into the presence of God. Remember, he couldn't see his full glory. But Moses was the go-between. And so the law had a mediator. His name was Moses. And gosh, we have a mediator too. Hebrews talks about this. His name is Jesus Christ. And so what the law required was a person to come between a holy God and a sinful people. Moses was that person. In the New Testament, we still need a mediator. But the, And I see if I can make this make sense. When God made the promise to Abraham, if 
you'll remember Acts or Genesis 15. He cut an animal in half. And what would happen was in a covenant, the people making the agreement would walk through that animal. And the basic idea was this. Not if you don't fulfill the covenant, I'm going to take you to you know, people's court. May what happened to this animal happen to me if I don't keep my word. May I be, may I be killed. Okay? When Abraham did that, when God did that with Abraham, God put Abraham into a deep sleep and only one person walked through that and it was God himself. The promise to Abraham was based on one person being faithful, not two people being faithful. The law was the opposite. You do this and you'll be blessed. You don't do this, you'll be cursed. Moses is the go-between. We have Jesus Christ who is keeping that promise to Abraham. He's that seed. He's the one that said, I will pay for the law being broken and he did on the cross. One other picture here. And is if you think where well let me ask this bible quiz question where was moses buried can anybody like today you can go to israel and a couple spots where they think jesus was buried they can we don't know where moses was buried if you remember your bible moses for various reasons and mainly because he was a sinner but think of him as a representative of the law got to the edge of the promised land but he was not allowed to go in. The law cannot take you to the promises of God. Just think of that picture. He was buried someplace, and we don't know where his tomb is to this day. The law was there to get us to the promised land, but not into the promised land. And then it dies, and we have no idea where it is because we're now free in Christ because he's our mediator. It's a wonderful picture. Well, verse 20. The mediator, however, implies that more than one party, but God is one. Here's the issue. Who made the contract with Abraham? And again, back to that picture, God alone, it's his faithfulness. If you wonder why you stand with God, not only in your salvation, but someday in the, in the glories of heaven, again, I think I said this every week, it is because Christ and Christ alone. It is not you. You didn't keep the law. Okay? We didn't do any of that. Paul would tell Timothy, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. That's all we hang on here. So then Paul asks a follow-up question, verse 21. Is the law then opposed to the promises of God? So if God promised that we can be saved by faith in this promised seed, Jesus Christ, and the law doesn't save us, is it arguing against it? He says, no, the law is good. Right? It's good that we slow down at the school zone. It's good that we, don't, that we honor God and we don't lie and we don't commit. A, it's, all those things are good. In fact, they point to the very heart. But what they can't do, and this is where he goes on to say, they can't give us life. They can't give us spiritual life. They can't give us eternal life. He says, for if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. So you can keep all the rules you want. You're still going to be dead in your sin. That's what he's saying. Be as good as you. He was faultless when it came to the law. Well, that's point one. It exposes the sin. Secondly, it's an, an effective schoolmaster. If I wrote this outline again, I would say it's an enslaving schoolmaster. Maybe both apply. Verse 22, the scripture has locked up everything under control of sin. So the law comes and says, okay, y'all are condemned. You all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the Romans, you know, road there. So that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. 
All the, the purpose of the law was to bring us to Jesus Christ and bring us to belief in Jesus Christ. Verse 23, before the coming of this faith, and it's very specific, the faith in Christ, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. But now that the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Okay? The word guardian there, a very specific word, it meant, it means nanny, if I can put it that way. But in the Jewish culture, school-aged boys in particular, that's why I don't want to use the word nanny, but school-aged boys were placed under the tutelage of a schoolmaster or a tutor. And they did not just teach them ABCs, they basically raised the children. And they protected them against what was bad, and they guided them into what was good until that child could stand alone. Okay? And so what Paul is saying here is, because you're sinners, you needed something to, to keep you in line and to show you how bad you are until you can stand on your own two feet, hypothetically. Our own, standing on our own two feet means placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we were all put under that. It's, it was a servant that did that, again, to guard us and to guide us until we could place our faith in Christ, until literally Christ had come to place our faith in him. It pointed out that, that we could not do it ourselves and we don't deserve it, and he did what we don't, can't do and what he, does, what he didn't deserve. Sorry, that was bad. Here's what a, a commentator said. Sin, sin was heard again in the Old Testament, but grace, grace is our rejoice in the New Testament. It, that was the whole point of the law. And point C is so we could expect a Savior. Now, we've covered most of the verses that, that I read earlier, so I want to just recap a few of them and then take us, um, connect it to the next point. So sin, ex, I'm sorry, the law exposes our sin. It effectively brought us to Christ, and if we go back to it, we're enslaved by that saying. But it hopefully, and this is the prayer, and this is what Paul was getting at, it helps us expect a Savior. This is where we find out we can't keep the law. And so we hope, this, this is where um, Paul would say in Romans, what a wretched man am I who will deliver me from his body of death. It is there to shine the light on our sin and say, well, I didn't do it and I can't do it, so how am I going to be right with God? Jesus Christ. He's the Savior that we, is there. Think about it. God could have very easily, Garden of Eden happens, he could have sent Jesus the next day. Okay? Promise to Abraham. He could have sent Jesus the next day. No, 400 years later. Promise to Mo, or the law to Moses. He could have sent Jesus the next day to fulfill the law. But when the time had fully come so that we as mankind and we individuals can know, I can't do this. I'm a sinner. Generation after generation after generation, mankind fails. And they fail miserably. So somebody's got to help us. In those verses we read, this is uncustody until that faith came, until we can believe in Christ, until Christ came, verse 24. It's the seed that he promised. It's, it's the law that now that could not impart life. We can have spiritual life, and he'll flesh that out in later chapters. John would say this, and I think John the Baptist says this, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's a little, a little ditty. I don't know if, I don't even know what ditty means, but a little poem. 
that every once in a while I, I say this to you. And I'm, it says, I must have sung Amazing Grace a thousand times or more. But the words to how great thou art, I'm sorry, and the words to how great thou art in my memory are stored. But until your amazing grace cleansed my wretched heart, did I know the true meaning of, my God, how great thou art. The law beats down, and rightly so. I want to know I'm on the road to diabetes. I want to know that, even though I don't want to know that. Because now something can be done. And it's not a pill, and it's not a lifestyle. It's my Savior, Jesus Christ. If I, if I go back to the doctor and magically, and I'm learning all the numbers now, right? Instead of being five-something, I'm down to three-something. I'm going to say, hallelujah, right? What if I look at the Word of God? Think of this. At one point, my diagnosis was sinner, dead in sin, heading to hell. But then I flipped the file back a little bit. Oh, <laughs> he accepted Christ. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's what happens when you give your faith to Christ. Very quickly, and I'll just wrap up with this. The third point, we didn't even read this, is the position of sons or the saints. Because that transaction happened, I'm no longer under age under the law. I am a full-standing son of God. In Christ, you're either a son of God or, or, or a daughter of God. You're co-heirs with Christ. And here's where we stand legally. A, we are legal heirs. We have, and I'll flesh this out next week. We have access to the kingdom of God. Because we've been born again into that. We, that's where we stand. We don't stand as condemned criminals anymore. We stand as sons and daughters of, of the king of heaven. I wrestled with this a little bit yesterday. I went to an estate sale. That's a pray, pray for me on that. Pray for my wife on that. That's the better prayer. Um, and, and I honestly did wrestle with this. I tried to make it as spiritual as I could. It wasn't the sale stuff that was so impressive. It was the 68 litter, the 68 acre farmstead it was on. Oh, it's beautiful. And I know I'm supposed to be content. I'm thankful for what I got. Man, it would be cool to live there. Okay? I, I, and I wrestled with it. I, your pastor wrestles with sin, just so you know. And, and I just came to the point, my estate's much bigger than that. Much more beautiful. Right? I'm an heir to the kingdom of God. And so are you in Christ. That's this transaction that happened. And secondly... Because God wouldn't give that inheritance to just anybody. I'm legally holy. I'm as whole, I have the righteousness of Christ because he died for my sins and he gave me his righteousness. More on that next week. In conclusion, uh, the promised seed came. And the purpose of the law was to point us to Jesus Christ. And if you accept him, you can be a son or daughter of God right now. Your deadly diagnosis can be cured because of your faith in Christ, not anything you've done. Is he, is, uh, I'm glad I said it. It's not as easy as just don't have that last donut at night. 
It's not keep all the rules. It's because Christ did it for you, and you accept that as your Lord and Savior. My prayer is that if you haven't done that, you would accept it. And if you have, we ought to be singing to the rooftops. Hallelujah for that, right? Let's pray. God, thanks for your word. I thank you for just goofy things like estate sales and speed limit signs and donuts. That they remind us of your goodness. Your amazing grace. God, thank you that you promised what you did to Abraham and that it did not come down to just a bunch of people. It came down to one particular person, that one seed, Jesus Christ. And thank you that the law came through Moses to point us to that one person, God. By, by faith and accepting him, we are made right with you and we have an incredible inheritance for all eternity. God, may there be in this room no uncertainty about what was spoken here today. Your word is true, every last syllable of it. And we either stand now condemned before a holy God who gave us his law and none of us can live up to it, or we stand free and forgiven in our Savior Jesus Christ. May he be glorified, and may we respond accordingly, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.